I've not met you before. My name's Jacinda. I'm one of the pastors here at Coast Vineyard. It's so good to have you here with us this morning. How many of you were here with us last week when we had Scotty Young uh, speaking from Grace Vineyard? Wasn't that so good? So good. Just uh, He sort of slotted into the series that we're doing at the moment, which is Being Better Friends. And he brought this fantastically encouraging message and really practical message about um, building intergenerational relationships, which is actually something that's really dear to our heart. I don't know if he knew that, but uh, when we started the church, you know, we did so with a sense of God inviting us into that calling us to create and to build that sort of church, which, you know, we were kind of like, well, that sounds good, but how do you do that? Turns out he does it, and we just get to partner with him. But, but Scotty's invitation was for us to be able to partner with one another, for, particularly for us older ones. It's a deep breath moment, isn't it? Yeah. For those of us who have lived a little bit more of life, we in particular need to be intentional about building those relationships with, with younger ones and investing in them. And one of the things that Scotty referenced was the fact that the more of life that we've done, the more we've kind of realized that we can hold some things in tension. That even when things are really hard, when we're going through something that is really stretching or really painful, that at the same time we can hold hope. (coughs) That in the midst of our sorrow, we can hold joy. You know, and kind of on the surface, that sort of sounds like you know, that those two things don't go together. And yet, as we do life and faith with Jesus, we discover that it's actually possible to do that. You know, Eva referenced that this morning, you know, as she was leading us in communion. And so today, as we are uh, continuing to unpack this whole thing of building, being better friends, is uh, we wanted to actually take a, a little bit of time to actually look at, well, how do we do that then when times are tough? How, how do we be better friends when things aren't going so easily? How do we be friends? Like if we think about some of the, the stuff that we have gone through or that people that we love have gone through, life's just not always easy, is it? Perhaps it's just me. I'm pretty sure I'm in good company. You know, that either us or somebody that we love has had a, a horrible diagnosis from the doctor. They've been told they have cancer or they have an anxiety disorder or, or they're going to live with chronic illness. That's tough. You know, or it could be that they've lost somebody that they love. You know, a spouse or a child, a friend. It's sometimes change. Change can be tough, can't it? It's, it's kind of one of those inevitable things in life, and yet so many of us really struggle with change. You know, there's this weird combination of emotions that can happen all at the same time where we've got this anticipation and excitement for what's coming, and at the same time, we can be feeling grief and sorrow over what we have to let go of to be able to move into the new. Anyone who's moved countries probably has experienced that. Yeah? There's this joy and sorrow all in the same thing. Leaving school brings up those kinds of emotions, and we've got kids that are going to be starting to transition into that. University, any big change, it can have those sorts of impact on us. Betrayal. Many of us, I mean, sadly, have experienced what it's like to be betrayed by someone we thought we could trust, whether it's somebody that we work with, a spouse, a friend... You know, just that broken trust and the broken heart that goes with it. Or disappointment, the thing that we've been longing for, that we hope for, that we want more than anything, still hasn't arrived. 
that we still have to live with that sort of disappointment of like hopes not fulfilled. And oftentimes what we find in life, any one of those are really hard things, and there's like, you know, loads that we could actually unpack. But oftentimes what we find is that it's not even just one thing at a time. Sometimes we hit those seasons, don't we, where it seems like there's just a bunch all at the same time. And it can really knock us about. So how do we be better friends in those sorts of times? You know, there's this uh, a resource from, we had our mental health panel uh, discussion last Sunday night. It was fantastic. It was so helpful. And uh, I was having to MC the thing, so I was, and I was sitting there going, Darn, I haven't written notes, but thankfully somebody else did, so I've been able to get the notes. Um, and uh, one of the therapists that we had uh, speaking that night, she has a, a, n- a number of resources on her website, and I was having a look through them this week. And, uh, and she says this, it's actually in re- reference to grief, but I think it's something that we actually can apply to a lot of different situations. She says this, allow yourself to grieve or to feel sorrowful or to feel the loss, whatever it is, to grieve, to feel the full range of human emotion, to embrace it rather than deny it, is to be fully alive. Without pain, we can never truly know joy. It is in this process of being honest and authentic in our emotions and moving through loss and grief to the other side that we can truly have the strength to walk in empathy with another. We know what it feels like. We know what it costs. We know that there is hope on the other side. We don't throw out empty cliches and often they are designed really to make ourselves feel better because the other person's pain is making us uncomfortable. We will face pain and trials in our lives. Isn't this an optimistic morning? (laughs) It's not an option. But what is an option is our mental and emotional responses to pain. It's as we actually go through these things with God, with one another, that we are changed, but we are also able to offer that to one another. What we discover on the way and on the other side. We get to choose whether we go through these things on our own or whether we do them in the company of others. And my strong encouragement to you, to all of us, me included, is that we choose to do it together. It is really tempting when we're in the thick of these sorts of times to isolate ourselves because you just feel so raw and so vulnerable. And yet our invitation is to do it another way. That we we don't have to do it with everyone. We don't have to have everybody knowing every single thing, but we need some that know us and can be with us in the midst of the hard things. So how do we practice that when the tough times come? We're going to unpack that this morning, but before we do that, why don't we pray? So Father, we thank you for your presence here with us this morning. We thank you, God, that you say that you are with us always, in everything, in every season of life, you are with us. You never leave us. You never fail us. You are that strong tower we can run to. You are that solid ground when everything else feels like it's moving. And I pray, Lord, this morning as we share some of this together, God, that you would strengthen those things within us, that you would call us to to lean into you when we're feeling vulnerable and stretched and overwhelmed. And God, that you would show us how to be better friends to one another in the midst of those sorts of seasons. 
Speak to our hearts, Lord. Change our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we unpack this, we're just going to take a minute to address this whole issue of pain. I smile because it's like, yeah, this is like one of my least favourite things to do. Uh, I did the Enneagram. Has anyone ever done that before? It's a tool that helps you to understand. It's a self-awareness tool. And, uh, and one of the things I found out about my particular personality type, the way that I'm made, is one of the things I hate the most and find the most difficult is pain. And I live with chronic illness. Interesting combo. It's something that I'm having to learn how to do as I grow and go through life. Pain is hard, isn't it? We kind of, you know, would rather avoid it. We live in a culture that would want to avoid pain most of the time. We, we ignore it. Well, this is me. I should probably say I ignore it. I distract myself from it. I smother it with entertainment or shopping, you know, or food or friends or just activity. We kind of tend to just want to run away a lot of the time, don't we? I don't think I'm the only one that do, does this. However, everything that we would know about the way that human beings are made is that as we acknowledge it, as we accept it, as we face it, and as we walk through it and journey and like try and find skills to actually process pain well, we will be better off on the other side. It's just hard. You know, the Apostle Paul, he was one of uh, the followers of Jesus, and he established a whole bunch of churches in the early days of the church, and he wrote them a bunch of letters when they were getting going. And one of the churches was in Rome, and he writes in this letter. Now, you've got to remember, as, as we're about to read this, is that Paul isn't a guy that's talking about hard times and about pain just as an idea. He lived it. He was beaten up. He was imprisoned. He, was, he got sick. He was shipwrecked, of all things, you know, and survived. Um, like, he had people turn on him. You know, like, he kind of, he knew what pain was. He knew what hard things, what difficult times are like. And this is his perspective that he invites the church in Rome to take a hold of. And I think it's just as important for us today to get a hold of this thing. He says this, We boast in the glory uh, in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know, we know, that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Uh, so, uh, yeah, character and character hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We, he's telling us glory in your suffering. I'm like, that is not my default position. Not really sure that that sounds that appealing. The only reason he says we can do that is because we know that Jesus has poured his love out into us to be present with us in the midst of those, and we know that there's going to be something good that comes out of it. It's kind of, this has just come to me, it's just a bit like childbirth. <laughs> This is not in my notes, which could be bad. It's the only time I can say in my life that I can say pain produced something really good. But that's what Paul's saying. He's like any kind of suffering that we go through, any kind of pain, God has the ability to transform it into something good in us. 
and that we can then offer to other people. And one of the things that, uh, as you read, you know, psychology stuff today, it would say that one of the essential parts of us doing well in life is to develop resilience. The ability to bounce back from adversity. And not everyone has it, and it's actually a cultural concern in terms of our young people that they actually have, have, are lacking a lot of resilience and that's making things much more difficult for them as they negotiate life because life involves pain and loss. The American Psychological Association says this, being resilient doesn't mean that a person doesn't experience difficulty or distress. Emotional pain and sadness are common in people who have suffered major adversity or trauma in their lives. In fact, the road to resilience is likely to involve considerable emotional distress. The way to resilience is through hard things. It's through it. It's one of the things, it's not a given, okay? It doesn't just happen by itself. We have to kind of work with it. We need help from our friends. We need help from professionals to actually navigate this well. But there is the possibility of it being good. And God's in the midst of that. We can lean into him. You know, John Wimber, who was the founder of the Vineyard Movement, um, he, he, God used him amazingly to sort of restore this whole thing, this activity of praying for people to be healed. And, uh, and he saw, like, thousands of people all around the world be healed of, like, just the most phenomenal things and encouraged Christians to pray with an expectation that God can and does do that stuff today. At the same time, he, he was, uh, and I'm, I'm not being mean, he says this of himself, he was overweight. He was a big man. And as a result, he suffered a couple of heart attacks. He had a stroke. He got throat cancer, which did horrible things uh, to him. And he ended up dying at 63, which was, like, way too young. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. And one of the things, we, we uh, had the pleasure of meeting him a number of different times and we heard him speak at like lots of different things. We ended up working in the church that he was in and he spoke really honestly about his journey with, the can with cancer, uh, with all of it really, but like with the cancer in particular, he talked about like he really struggled with depression during uh, that period of time where he was diagnosed and then had treatment and came out the other side. But this is what he said about one of these tough seasons, or some of these different tough seasons that he faced. Don't be afraid of pain. All my life I've been afraid of pain, but pain's not so bad. I've been in the valley, and it's not so bad. What he's referring to there is this piece of scripture in one of the Psalms in the Old Testament that says, you know, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, well, John had been there, and he could say, the view's not so bad. It's not so bad there. The view is wonderful. You never get to see Jesus quite as well as you do in the valley. It isn't prosperity that gives you the complete, the in-depth, the intimate view of Jesus. It's pain. It's in the midst of pain. It's in the midst of heartbreak. It's in the midst of rendering of relationships. It's in the midst of tragic circumstances that you get the heart of God revealed to you. So don't be afraid of pain. If God's allowed it, he'll have purpose in it. And it'll be good for us. I'm not setting that part. I love and know my Savior today more than I have ever known him, and I'm now 31 years in the Lord. I'm so grateful for cancer. Yeah, well, I'm like, wow. 
I'm so grateful that I went through it because I could never have known Jesus the way I now know him. And frankly, I could never have known my wife the way I now know her. So based on what we're told from scripture, from what we're told by psychologists, and from people's lived experiences, tough times, pain can produce good fruit in us. We don't have to be afraid of it, and we can become better friends in the process. You know, John and Carol had been married a long time, over 30 years, and yet he says he got to know her better and in ways that never would have happened, except that they traveled that road together. And we need to remember this for ourselves when we hit those times and for each other, that we get to know Jesus and we get to know each other better in the midst of our painful times. Right at the beginning of this series, Matt uh, talked about being better friends, and, and one of the things he said, well, be the friend that you would want to have. So I was thinking, well, you know, in terms of tough times, I didn't have to think very long because I've had a few. Uh, during tough times, what do I hope for from my friends? You know, what do I need? Well, we need people who will turn up, you know? Friends who are going to be present and stick with us through this, whatever this is. People who will hold hope for us you know, when we can't. People who are going to accept us and be patient with us when we're messy and we're struggling and we're angry with whatever situation we're in. People who are going to love us in practical and prayerful ways. Isn't that what we hope for from our friends? So then we want to become those people. We want to practice those things for one another. You know, the Apostle Paul, again, he said uh, to the church in Galatia, he said, carry each other's burdens carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And we can read about what that law is. Basically, it's just love one another. Love one another. And we're all going to get the opportunity to do this. You don't get to do life without stuff happening to you and to the people you love. And so we're all going to have the chance as part of life, as part of family, as part of community, to actually be able to lend strength. one another. Ecclesiastes 4, it says this, two are better than one. Church is better than a few because we have a good return on their labor. If anyone falls down, we can help the other up. That's what we get to do for one another. That's what being better friends can look like. And I want to invite Shirley um, to come and share a little bit of her experience of this uh, in a particularly tough patch in her life. So will we just welcome Shirley up to join me. (laughs) Shirley, why don't we start with uh, you just telling us what happened for you and your family. All right. So, um, believe it or not, I've been married before. This Mitch isn't the only wonderful husband I've ever had. I was was married to a man for 21 years. Um, The year was 2000, and funnily enough, it was the 15th of October. Uh, 2000, which is tomorrow, so timing today is amazing. Um, I had three kids, 20-year-old, 15-year-old, and a 13-year-old, and every every year our church would do a family social event, so we would do the marrieds versus the singles, the guys would play rugby, social fun, the girls would play um, netball. Anyway, my husband decided, he's a great rugby fan, he was a little overweight, but I'm fit, he decided, yep, I'm going there with the boys. So we went on the field, they played um, sessions, and they would tag each other on and off, he came off, he went back on, came off, looked at him, you okay? Uh, you sure you want to go back on? He's, you know, yes, I can do this. Went back on the field, 
came off again and collapsed. I had a couple of nurse friends who came and put him in the recovery position and they said he stopped breathing. Automatically, somewhere, out of nowhere, I put my hand on my husband and I said, God, I am not ready to lose my husband yet. Everyone looked, he coughed, he breathed. God gave me an hour. It was the closest I've ever been to raising the dead. We got to the hospital, the crash team were there. They spent half an hour working on him. He was alive when he got to the hospital. Um, they came, their faces said it all really when they came out to talk to me half an hour later. And I came to the realisation that God had taken my husband of 21 years home. Sudden, fatal heart attack. No history, leaving me with three kids, a family business, my own full-time job, and some pretty massive debt. The emotions, the whirl of everything, of sudden shock, of preparing for the funeral, of caring for my kids, I've got to sell up, I've got to do stuff, can I save my family home? But mostly, my husband and my best friend of 21 years, he wasn't here anymore. Mm. The blink of an eye. My body, I'm shaking now because I'm nervous, my body went into shock for a week. I physically shook. I had, in the morning of, and, yeah, and get this, on the morning of his death, I read Romans 8, 28. God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Mm. When they came out and said, I'm sorry, everything that went through my head was, no, 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 God, not like this, not like this. Mm. I was this roller coaster of emotions. I was totally overwhelmed. Um, fear tried to grip me. But somehow through the haze, I just felt like I knew I was going to survive. Mm. My God had brought me through... Uh, my mother deserting me. I had my grandmother, who was my second mother, died when I was 10. I had had a stillbirth. Somewhere I knew God's going to get me through this. Mm. So, and you've talked about it. Um, I, God helped me change my state of emotion by talking to my mind, basically, and declaring God's favour and promises over myself. So, um, yeah, so faith comes through hearing the word of God. And I just knew that somehow no matter how strong that emotion was, that if I declared God's word into my mind, that I would come through. I could change my thought pattern and I could change my emotions. Um, so yeah, Shirley, so you, I would be you okay. you obviously were part of a church then. Yes. And so I know that you've told me about some of what people did in gathering around you and your children then. Can you tell us some of the things that were helpful for you in that immediate as well as sort of over time? Yeah. Okay, so you've, you've touched on some already. Um, the listening ear, just being there. Sometimes it's the small things, uh, listening to people coming and listening to my ramblings, basically, about what had happened, how God had actually kind of prepared me for it. Um, the weirdest things, what God can do a year beforehand, get your finances in order, you know, things like that. And, and you just ramble, talking through, helping me talk through funeral arrangements, um, what to do financially, um, and the next steps. I had a chauffeur, I had a friend who knew that when you, someone goes through traumatic sudden shock, it's not good they drive. She just turned up and she stayed with me. Um, when I looked, and I'm like, no, no, I can do this, but when I looked at my shaking hands, I realised, mm, probably mm. not. God gave me a night watchman. Um, friend came and stayed, just arrived with a bag and said, I'm staying, I'm just going to be here, going to answer the door, answer the phone, do what you need um, for you. And she didn't ca uh, sleep in the guest room. She slept on the floor in my sunroom, right outside my bedroom door. And it was like, I just knew God was surrounding me with prayer warriors. Um, meals. <laughs> meals arrived every day. It was great. Cooking is not my happy place. It still isn't. Ask my husband. He's quite a good cook. <laughs> 500 people turned up to a funeral. 
I lived in a small town for 15 years, so we were quite well connected. And my church family, we had a building, and they just said, we've got this. Just, you just come. We've got the food. We've got everything that you need. Um, we were like family going through a crisis together. And afterwards, I just get a phone call. Would some meals be helpful at the moment? Yes. <laughs> you know, until finally I said, actually, I'm okay. Um, a male friend of mine would arrive up the driveway with his lawnmower. And it would be just at a time when I'm like, God, I really need to mow my lawns, but I'm exhausted. And up the driveway would come my lawnmower. It was mm. great. I had a, a housekeeper. I paid um, just a small amount, and she did way more than I paid her for. Um, just friends came and gave advice. I had an accountant gave me some good advice too. So just whatever it was that I needed, mm. God provided. It just turned up as mm. I asked. Now, I'm, I know that people intend to be helpful, and you had a lot of really fantastic people there. I'm anticipating that some things may not have been helpful, that possibly are said or done. Did you have any of that happen? I did. I had several, but I'm just going to, to share. I'm just going to share one. It's just been <laughs> honest, eh? Yeah, you yeah. Try. yeah, yeah. I'm not going to go into all of it. And, <laughs> pe- and pe- when having been on both sides of the fence of helping people and being in it, you realise that people have to know what you're going through mm. to be able to help you. But the classic was a couple of weeks afterwards, sitting there chatting to a woman, and she's rambling on about what's going on in her life, and she's just saying, "Man, I wish it was my husband." And I said, uh, no, oh, no, you don't, sweetheart. Doesn't matter how bad your marriage is at the moment. No, you don't. That's the only one I'm going to share. <laughs> <laughs> well done. There's a few. Uh, okay. And so, so we know that grief takes time and finding a new normal takes time. So for you and for your kids, about how long did you sort of feel like that took before you felt like, okay, I'm in a more solid place now and have rethought what normal looked like now? Yeah, redefining normal is is actually a difficult thing, but mm. it probably took me 12 months before I actually slept through a night. Um, properly sleep is so overrated. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, I went back to work within a couple of weeks. Um, I think my daughter sat in past school C within a few weeks. Oh, yeah. um, my kids just kind of helped out with different things. So I had an older son, so he would help with the soccer and stuff like that. Um, one of the harder things, I think, or trying to get back into normal is connecting with couples. When, you've, when you're suddenly you're not, um, that was really hard. Um, and just being invited to events, but being given the space at the last minute to say, I just can't cope. <laughs> too many people, too many questions. Um, hugs, um, having safe people that will give you hugs. You need a Nairi in your life who gives the best hugs out ever. Safe people, um, even safe male friends who might just give you a sideways hug. Um, <laughs> yeah, not the full frontal, eh? <laughs> so, and for me, filling that emptiness, I'm just going to say three things that I can't stress enough, and you have touched on them, which is amazing, that really helped me to get my new normal. So the first one was knowing God intimately. Do it now. Have a close relationship yeah. with God, because I did, and when, it, um, when my husband passed away, I'd wrap myself in his presence. I would just sit there and say, God, I need you. I would read the word and I would declare it over my life before moving into my day. The second one is be strong in the Lord. And Paul writes in Ephesians 6, let the mighty strength of the Lord make you strong. Put on the armor that God gives you so that you defend yourself against the devil's tricks. We are not fighting against humans, but against forces and authorities, rulers of darkness and powers of the spiritual world. And it ends when the battle is over, you will still be standing firm. And I was fighting a real battle. 
The third one, funny you mentioned this too, you must be resilient. Mm. I read the other day the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco was designed to sway, but only sway so much and come back and be resilient. Mm. Really, really important that we're flexible um, and resilient. So, um, yeah, so, and actually I had put down that scripture you had, the two, um, oh, yeah. yeah, 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 so yeah. about being, um, you know, not you know, we're not crushed, um, perplexed, um, but we're mm. not in despair, though, so that was good, too. So my God was really, really close to me, and I would learned previously how to rebound. So, yeah, it probably took me a good 12 months before I started to feel normal or into my new normal. Okay. Thank you so much. Why don't we thank you? <laughs> Thanks for sharing that, Shirley. And I know that... Um, Shirley is one of many of us who have been through some really hard things and found out firsthand what it's like to be on the receiving end of people journeying with us, you know, through some of those hard things. And so what we're going to do is we just, I'm going to like race because I've just seen the time. Um, I've got four things. We might not get through all four of them, okay? But in terms of us being better friends, what does that look like when the going gets tough? First thing is, turn up. Just turn up. You know, just as Shirley's friends did. You know, in Romans 12, Paul tells the church there, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We turn up in the hard things and we stand alongside the people that are going through those things. And it might be sleeping outside their bedroom door or mowing the lawns or making cups of tea or running the kids or being a chauffeur. Like whatever that is, whatever that's needed. And oftentimes the person we're trying to support can't tell us what that is, particularly initially. But we know stuff. We can figure that out. We know they have to eat. We know that if they've got children that we can help do stuff with them. We know that they need to stay connected to people. And yet, they are, you know, like, it's hard sometimes to be around people. So we kind of have to flex with the person, give them space, but keep inviting them into life. Keep inviting them and including them and loving them into relationship with people. You know, there's this, um, do I use that? Yes, I will. There's a wee picture. It's from an artist called Charlie Mackesee, who I follow on Instagram. He's a British artist, and um, he's a little bit irreverent. I really like him. And, uh, but he's really insightful. Don't you love artists, the way they see the world, and can kind of just sum it up in ways that I never could? Um, there it is. And you can't see it all. I'm sorry. You could Google him or look at him up on, uh, on uh, Instagram or something. Um, but what that says is he's got a series of these little sketches of this, this little boy, a mole, sometimes a fox. Oh, yeah, there's the fox and a horse. And they have these little conversations. And this one says, what is the bravest thing you've ever said, asked the boy? Help, said the horse. <laughs> Help. Saying that out loud and asking for that is incredibly brave and takes a huge amount of courage. You know, can we just be really clear that asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It is nothing to be ashamed of. All of us need help. And we need it from one another at different stages in our lives. And, uh, and we get to offer that to each other. That's what being good friends is all about. We've got a girlfriend who lived with us for a number of years. Uh, she lost her mum in her early 20s and her dad died just a few years ago. She's my age. And um, young, just young. <laughs> and um, you're laughing. Uh, but, but I know that Mother's Day, Father's Day, Christmas, birthdays, they're hard days for her. Sometimes she's doing okay. Other times, it's just, it's just hard. 
And so I always get in touch with her on those days. We've included her in it with our family. You know, she's moved out. She's doing other things now. But, you know, like we just, we just have to hang in there with each other. It takes time. We turn up again and again and again and again, and we don't stop. Okay? We'll whip on. Next thing, do your homework. Learn. Learn what's going on for your friend. If they've just had a diagnosis of terminal lung cancer, let's learn what that's going to look like for them. And we learn it by asking them, what is this like for you? They'll be learning from their doctors. They'll tell you. They'll pass it on. And we can learn not just about the disease, we get to also learn what is it like for our friend to be living with that diagnosis and then figuring out treatment plans and what does that mean for my family and for my business and for, you know, and this isn't hypothetical, this is, this is happening right now to some friends that we know. You know, like, we, we need to learn. We are gonna be able to give better support if we understand what the person's going through. So for example, with grief, uh, one of the panelists that we had speaking last weekend, um, she has given us permission to be able to share some of the resources on her website, and I was having a look through them this week. So in terms of resources, we've got, we're going to start populating a spot on our website that you can use and you can refer people to. Uh, so a lot of the mental health resources from last week we've got there. Any minute now. They'll pop up behind me. Um, and as well as that, uh, within that, there is a website called Freedom Counselling, and she has got a whole lot of brilliant stuff in there that you can read uh, about all sorts of uh, things to do with emotional and, intellect and mental health. And one of the things that uh, was on there that I was reading about grief is that we need to understand that grief is not a disorder or a disease or a sign of weakness. It's an emotional, spiritual, and physical necessity, and it's the price that you pay for love. The only cure for grief is to grieve. We can get a bit stuck with some of this stuff, but all of us are going to journey ourselves as well as with our friends through grief. So it's a really helpful thing for us to understand. So part of my understanding is talking to people like Shirley, who's willing to talk to me about what that's been like for her, as well as to read. And there's these stages of grief. Years ago, uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross had the five stages of grief. There's another diagram that's going to come up, and it's kind of a bit more multifaceted, and there's all sorts of things on there, about the kinds of things that people have to go through as they grieve. And I uh, was reading something, a blog post by a woman who had lost a child. And she said, you know, we want grief to be this linear thing, you know, where we start in one place, we smoothly go through everything, and we come out the other side, and quite quickly, please. The reality of grief for anyone who's gone through it is that you can imagine, the, the image for this didn't ever come out good, so I didn't use it, but if you can imagine in the middle of that, a line that bounces all over the place. So it's this messy, tangled up, ball of looking string thing. That's what grief looks like. People will bounce around within that. And we don't know how long it will take. It's different for everybody. And so as friends, we want to give space for that. That they are able to do everything that needs to be done within the context of supporting and loving relationships. And we get to offer that to one another. The third thing we can do is we can put love in action. We actually don't just talk about it, we do something. We can all do that. Um, I'm going to skip that next slide. 
You know what I mean by this stuff. One of the things that I love, uh, I was talking to Thomas and Caitlin the other week. They were apologizing because somebody's phone went off at 11.11 in the middle of church. And they were like, they're in our life group. It's our fault. Uh, we were like, what? What's going on? And some people in their life group had been going through some really hard things. So as a group of friends, they decided they were going to set their alarms to go off at 11.11 every morning, and they were going to pray for one another. Now, you can put your phone on silent, but alarms will still go off. So we, for a few weeks, we had these random ones going off, and we were like, oh, it's the Westons group. <laughs> but isn't that cool? Like, I was just like, yeah, if that's going to interrupt my message, I don't care. That's so cool. And it's not just, they haven't just, you know, set alarms to remind themselves to pray during the day. They've done meals for each other. They've babysat each other's children. They've done stuff. They have put love in action. We will need to do that as we journey with people. And our fourth thing is we need to hold hope for each other. Just as we were reminded at the beginning this can produce good fruit. There's hope in that. There's hope that, that life is lived in seasons, that no matter how overwhelming, how stretching, how dark the season we may be in, or that our friend may be in, it's a season. However, some of the seasons that we go through can feel really, really long. And so for our friend... We need to be able to come up alongside them, take them by the hand, and go, There's, it, it, the day's going to change. There will be another season coming. And I'm going to stand with you as long as it takes in the season you're in till we get to the other We get to the other side. We can hold that hope. We can remind them that God is the one, the only one that can renew and redeem all things. Eva talked about that. We sang about that today. We sang that. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11, for any one of us that needs hope in the midst of anything tough, I've clung to this verse for life at times. This is what we're told. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. It doesn't always look like that. It doesn't always feel like that, but that is the truth. God will work everything together for our good, even the hard things. And we can hold on to the hope that there is because he is who he says he is, which is why those of us who have been doing life longer, who have journeyed through these things and know that it's a season, it will pass, that there is hope because God transforms everything. That is what we can grab a hold of to give to somebody else. And for those of you who are young, actually, you know what? Even some of our young ones have gone through some really horrendous things, hard, hard, hard things. So please, that's, I don't want to sound condescending at all. I've learned a lot from some of our young ones. Ooh, sorry. We can hold hope for each other. We can lend strength to one another. That's what being better friends in tough times looks like that we're going to turn up, we're going to do our homework, we're going to put love in action, and we're going to hold hope for each other. And can I just say, we need to start when it's good. We need to be proactive in this. Don't wait for a crisis. Because if you're waiting to start doing any kind of meaningful friendship 
until when things are hard, that's just like the worst plan. Okay, we start building good friends and good support networks when things are going well. And here's the other thing I've discovered about us, not just me, many people, rubbish at mind reading. Yeah. <laughs> rubbish. Like we do not know when you need help. We need you to be really brave and to have real courage, like the horse in that little picture, and ask for help because otherwise we won't know. And there's a whole bunch of people in this church family that would want to offer it, but we don't know where to give it. And we're, you know, we're going to muddle through this thing together. 